0: a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognise that they can. Hi there,
1: it's Gina Gardner here. I'm really pleased to be with you again on Passionate World Radio. My theme today is time. Time and time again, I hear from family, friends and clients that they haven't enough time. Despite the advances in technology, the calls upon our time seem to be more and more difficult to manage and the to-do list gets longer. I've got to confess that there have been times when I've deliberately put things on my to-do list that I've already completed, simply so I can have the satisfaction of ticking it off. Have you noticed how time seems to have very different properties when we're enjoying ourselves, whilst it can drag interminably when we're doing something that we don't enjoy? I think it's important to recognise that time is a finite commodity. We can only use it once, so it makes great sense to me to make the very best of it. That doesn't mean you have to be busy being busy all the time. I think it's important to take time to be quiet. To reflect and contemplate. And yet so many people spend their time without any thought as to whether they're getting the best out of it. I believe that time is incredibly precious. Each day has 24 hours, each hour 60 minutes and each minute 60 seconds. We have 168 hours in a week, 8736 hours in a year And if we live to the age of 70, we have 613, hours to use. And that sounds quite a lot, doesn't it? But I'm getting on and I have to say that those hours are being used up incredibly quickly. Now, take out all the time you spend sleeping, working, travelling, eating, washing and so on. Those hours are filled incredibly quickly. My question to you is, Are you making the very best of your time? Imagine you're at the end of a long life looking back. What are the things that you'll consider as important? How much of your time will you have spent in looking back to your past, wishing things had been different? Or how much of your time spent worrying about what might never happen? How much time would have been taken up with complaining? Researchers identified that when something goes wrong, we tell on average 37 people about it. Yet when we're pleased with something, we tell on average only 5. Complaining's contagious. It acts like a virus in families, in friendships and organizations. And if you have a culture where complaining is rife, it can quickly become destructive. I think complaining is a habitual response. And it really acts like a canker. Just listen to yourself over the next few days and listen to the people you spend your time with. Recognise whether that time is being spent in a positive way which makes you feel good or whether they're always complaining and that makes you feel very unhappy. If complaining actually made things better, I'd say carry on. But it does nothing to solve the situation. And I, in my experience, have found that it makes everybody feel miserable and unresourced. But the same can be said of regretting, worrying, avoiding procrastination and arguing. Could the time spent in those activities have been better used? And I believe it could. You're really lucky as you now have the opportunity to do things differently from this time forward because now you have an awareness. Most of us do most things habitually, they happen at an unconscious level, and it's only when you become aware that you actually have a chance to do something about it. I urge you to use your time consciously, that is make an active choice as to how you spend your time. Making the most of every day requires you to be present moment by moment. In reality, That moment is all we have. The past is gone and we can do nothing to change it. But we can learn the lessons the past offers and move on using those lessons to make a better now and a better future. We cannot know definitively how much of a future we have. But what we can guarantee is that we have this moment now. I'd like to spend the rest of our time together today looking at some simple strategies and principles which can help you make good use of your time. They've been used by my clients, individuals and many of the organisations that I work with and they've found to be very helpful. Just think about the time you have. You can use it once and once only. So what might you do differently to ensure that you're making the very best use of time? When I speak with clients, it's quite common for them to put everyone else's needs before their own. The result? They feel frazzled and exhausted. So, why is it so many of us say yes, when what we really want to say is no? If it happens occasionally, it's likely to cause some minor irritation or inconvenience, which is short-lived. But if it's become a way of life, it can be extremely damaging to our sense of self-worth, And in some contexts, our health and well-being too. There's always times when it's appropriate to do things because you want to help or to please others. When it's right to do what we're asked by those who have a greater experience or level of authority. In this context, I'm talking about an ongoing pattern of saying the opposite to what we really want to do because of something within us, rather than because it's the right thing to do. There are so many reasons why we say yes, even though it's the opposite of what we really want. The circumstances and motivation for this pattern of behaviour can be vastly different for each person. If you want to change the way you respond, you need to work out what's at the heart of your need to respond positively. Now, I'm going to identify some common themes which have come to light during coaching sessions with clients. It's not an exhaustive list by any means but you may find several of the examples resonate with you. The first is low self-esteem, and these are the sort of phrases that I hear from clients. Everyone else is more important than me, therefore their needs must be a higher priority. Now these aren't the actual words that people use, but this is the essence. I feel much better about myself when I'm doing things for others, even when I ignore my needs to service those of others. I'm wary of upsetting other people. If I say no, they won't like me anymore. Everyone else knows what they're doing. If I say no, it could be the wrong thing to do. I feel guilty if I upset anyone. It's easier to say yes rather than feel bad about myself. I'm always the one who gets put upon. It's my role in life. The next category are people who say yes to get others off their back. I can never think of how to say no and not upset them. I say yes because at least I have some space, initially. It's just easier to say yes than deal with the fallout, others being cross or disappointed in me. I fear the anger if I upset the person asking, or they'll sulk, nag, withdraw. Saying yes makes me feel good, to start with. Then I get overwhelmed by how much I have to do because I've taken on too much. What about if the person who asks has high status? I wouldn't dream of saying no to my parents or boss. Whatever they say goes. If I say no, I'll get passed over for promotion. So what's the solution? If your sense of self-worth could do with an overhaul... There's lots to help in my book, Thriving, Not Surviving: The Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success, and Fulfillment, or choose to work with a coach. There is no single solution, but some of the following suggestions might be helpful. Thinking about life in terms of what's fair and equitable might help. Think of an old pair, a pair of old-fashioned scales, the sort with a weigh pan on each side. The fair thing is to treat yourself no better or worse than you treat others. Consider each time someone asks you to do something. Weigh it out on your scales and use that as the measure between your yes and your no. On balance is it fair and right for you to be asked to do it. If it is, go ahead. If you feel that the balance is tipped against you, then it's probably time to consider whether you should be saying no unless there are other factors at work, and of course there may be. Do you measure your own performance by the same criteria as you measure others? And if not, ask yourself why not? How do you feel when somebody says no to you? Does it depend on why and how it's done? Or do you stop liking someone simply because they say no? What do you believe about yourself which makes it right to give yourself a harder time than you do other people? So how can you say no gracefully without upsetting the other person? Remember that the tone of your voice and the body language you use will have enormous impact on the way the other person interprets your motives. If you have trouble saying no in the first place, Rehearsing different ways to say no which are both friendly and appropriate can help you avoid being caught on the hop. And lots of clients have said it's the fact they don't know quite how to respond to it that has meant that they've said yes. Remember you don't need to go into great great screeds of reasons. Keep it simple and avoid lying as you're likely to be found out, which will then cause bad feeling. So, As I do with my clients, I'm going to give you some possible examples. So think about your personal life. I'd love to see you, but I'm afraid I can't do it tomorrow. How about next week? I'm really sorry I can't help on this occasion, but if you gave me more notice, I might be able to help next time. Under other circumstances, I'd love to help, but I'm really sorry I can't help you at the moment. I'm stumped. Normally, no problem, but I'm snowed under at the moment, so I'll have to say no. really sorry. What if the person's got high status? You might say something like, I respect, or I love you very much, and the last thing I want to do is upset or disappoint you, or let you down. But saying yes would mean, I wouldn't have time to do things properly. I'd be doing something I felt was wrong. I'd be doing something I didn't think was right. Can I suggest whatever as an alternative approach? Or how can we come up with something which works for both of us? Now it can get even trickier in the work situation. So how about, thanks for thinking of me. I'd love to help, but I need to focus on meeting my deadlines. Happy to help if those could be pushed back. I'd really like to help. But if I were to do that, which of my other priorities would you like me to put on hold? Now watch your voice in these, because otherwise it can come across as being argumentative. I can see how important it is, but I simply have no space in the diary to give it the time and attention it deserves. I'd hate to let you down or do a poor job, so perhaps it's time to to find someone else. Look at my diary. I haven't got a window of opportunity until given the date. Now, I don't think that's going to fit in with your time scale. It will probably be better to ask someone else. Lots of people find that they're expected to give an answer immediately, so a response like, look, I can't give you an answer at the moment. I need to look at what you require before committing, as I hate doing a bad job and I wouldn't want to let you down, but I need to see that in the context of my workload at the moment. Or I've looked at the project really carefully and I simply can't see how I can get everything done in the time available. Some people who actually see lots of clients and have all sorts of appointments find that they overbook. If you find it difficult to say no to clients who want an appointment and you find yourself creating a longer and longer working day, you might find it useful to block out time with appointments to yourself. One client I have who is self-employed found it difficult to say no to her clients but the result was that she was working a 16 or 17 hour day. She was exhausted and her health was suffering. She found just saying no difficult. Her solution was to create a few mythical clients and she went through her diary booking appointments with them and after time she then was able to say look at my diary if you can find a space you can book it in but she'd protected her time with her appointments with mythical clients. The second really big thing is to delegate effectively when that's appropriate. You can delegate within the family. Even quite young children can actually uh, take part in family tasks, getting them to load the dishwasher or to put the rubbish out, something that's age-appropriate, but you don't have to be a slave everybody needs to pull their weight and do their part but let's look at delegation in the work context done well delegation can free managers to lead and think strategically with a positive impact on productivity and efficiency it offers a wonderful opportunity for professional growth and it's making the best use of time and resources many managers talk about delegating to their staff but in reality I've discovered that delegation can often give very mixed results. Managers approach delegation in a wide range of different ways. There's the, it's quicker to do it yourself, at least you know it's done properly, style of management. The, dump the whole thing and blame them when it goes wrong, I delegated to you version. I'm going to delegate, but I don't quite trust you, so I'll constantly check at what you're doing, alternative. I've delegated to you but I'm not prepared to let go so I'm going to keep interfering form of delegation. I've dumped it on you with no clear view of what's required, no success criteria, no time scales, foggy budget and often changing goalposts sort of delegation. Delegation to someone with inadequate skill, no training. Delegated to someone with the spare time rather than the right skill set. Delegation without autonomy or authority so that every decision requires someone higher up the chain to sign everything off. And there are probably many more versions. Is it any wonder why managers have little time for strategic thinking and management and why time is wasted, stress levels grow higher and staff feel demoralised and demotivated in some organisations? If you'd like to improve delegation with your own team, you'll find my book, How You Can Manage Your Staff More Effectively, sets out the principles of effective delegation in a clear, jargon-free way. And by following the process, you can be sure that delegation will be done in a positive and empowering way, freeing you up to manage your time more effectively. Next, I'd like you to think about the corporate cost of meetings you attend. Think about how much time you spend in any given week at meetings. And then start to think about the cost. And if you're a manager, then think about the cost of the meetings that you call. So the cost of your meeting is uh, calculating the hourly rate of pay for anybody who's attending, plus the on costs, that's the employer's contributions. In the UK, that's 23%. Plus the cost to you in human terms. When the meeting ends, everybody's still going to have the work waiting for them on the desk. And that's work that you've not completed because you were attending the meeting. Did you have to stay late or did you take work home? Plus, you've got the cost of travelling, if that's appropriate. So for argument's sake, let's say the meeting lasts two hours. Six people attend with an average cost of £50 an hour, so £600. The next question is to ask yourself, was that best value for money? Did everybody need to be there? Was there a more effective use of everybody's time? What was achieved by having the meeting? And I've attended many meetings in the past when all that was actually agreed was the date of the next meeting. I worked with a client recently who spent over 30 hours in the previous week at meetings. That was the norm for her. The consequence was she was constantly under huge pressure to spend ever-increasing numbers of hours at work uh, to get the work done. The following exercise was done by her initially and then later by her whole team. She created a timetable of the meetings that she'd attended in the previous week. She then graded them according to their relevance and usefulness in helping her to meet her targets within work. 5. Completely useful and relevant. 1. No use whatsoever. The picture varied from uh, person to person within her team, but the major proportion of hers and her team's were graded at 3 or below, and many were at 1 or 2. When they got together as a team, they discussed what was the purpose of the meetings and was that clear before the outset? What was the most effective way of handling other people's expectations around their attendance, particularly when this was outside the team? How could information be shared in the most effective way? And they agreed the criteria for inviting others to attend any of their meetings, criteria for pre-meeting information, criteria for refusing to attend other people's meetings, actions to keep all the parties involved, how they were going to manage the expectations of people outside the team and how they were going to inform everyone of their agreement and when and how they would monitor the effectiveness of the new way of working. The outcome created a huge change in the way meetings were arranged within the team and over a short period of time how meetings were arranged within the organisation as a whole. The expectations of others are now being managed effectively And much time is being saved as a result, and there's been no adverse impact on productivity, in in fact, quite the opposite. Think about your personal circumstances at work. What, if anything, is the relevance of this to you? Who do you need to talk to in order to influence those who make the decisions? Do you manage others? What's the impact of the meetings on your team and their workload? Are there ways of using technology creatively to save time traveling to and from meetings or to share information? I'd like now to talk to you about use of your energy because that's another finite resource. And if you're going to make the very best use of your time, you need to be firing on all cylinders. And to do that, it's really important that you make the most of your energy. When are you feeling that you're most alive, raring to go, full of passion and energy, what are you doing? When you feel out tired and out of sorts, pulled down and exhausted, what's at the bottom of your lack of energy? You might think that for each person the answer would be entirely different, and at one level that's entirely true. However, there is a common underlying principle to both the positive and negative scenarios. The things which de-energise us are very likely to come from one or more of the following. you're carrying around emotional baggage. When we fail to deal with negative issues which leave a residue of negative emotions such as anger, fear, hate, loneliness, frustration, disappointment, jealousy or bitterness those emotions take energy and they take the time of your brain going over and over and over of them. If we try to suppress these emotions rather than deal with the underlying causes, it takes enormous energy to keep them locked away. My meta for this is the dragon in the box. Once the lid comes off, it can feel as though it would be impossible to put the lid back on again. Some clients will say, I can't afford to cry or stop, because if I do, I won't be able to get going again or won't be able to stop crying again. If I admit to being angry, it'll be real and I won't be able to control it anymore. The paradox, it takes far more energy and time to avoid dealing with these negative emotions than it does to tackle the underlying problem itself. If you're finding it difficult to let go, there are a number of techniques which can help enormously. So if you want to know more, please contact me through the website or through the radio station Um, because you really deserve to have a, a, a life where you are emotionally free. Another thing that takes your time and energy are incompletions, because those often lead to procrastination or feeling stuck. By that, I mean all those things that we know we should have done, or should be doing, but haven't. It could be as simple as tackling the ironing, making a phone call to someone, or as complicated as complete overwhelm because we're drowning under acres of work and we simply can't work out where to start. The brain constantly sends us little reminders that we still haven't completed things, jogging our consciences and making us feel bad about ourselves. The solution is to create a to-do list which is constructed in such a way as to make each small task achievable. Celebrate that achievement prioritize the things on your action list but be realistic. If you can't do it now then put a date in the diary to do it and stick to your promise to do it. It will enable you to get things done far more effectively. Hand in hand with incompletion goes the human condition that so many of us suffer from and that is the all or nothing syndrome. By that I mean, if we can't do it all and do it all within a time that we have decided is the right time, then we do nothing. So, somebody wants to get fit. They set themselves a target of exercising six days a week for 50 minutes each day. Day one arrives, gets caught up at work. So can't fit in the 50 minutes. So thinks, no time, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes, the train's late. So they miss the session again. They then think to themselves, no point in doing anything this week, I can't get my six sessions in, so I'll start again on Monday. Week by week, something gets in the way of the six 50 minute sessions, so he does nothing. The need to get fit niggles away at the back of his mind as an incompletion. One strategy is to create a target where it's impossible to fail 10 minutes exercise once a week. To start with, completing the task gives a sense of completion, which is in in itself energising. The likelihood is that once the exercise session is actually started, it will end up being longer than 10 minutes. Exercise releases endorphins in the brain, which are the body's natural feel-good chemical. If you feel good after doing exercise, then you're far more likely to repeat the process. I think moving on that one of the problems that so many people suffer with is insomnia. Not being able to sleep well is a really common problem. And for some, it's an odd night here and there which can be irritating, but it's only transitory. For others, it's completely debilitating because night after night sleep eludes them. Long-term insomnia has uh, an incredibly negative impact on health and longevity and it has a huge impact on your energy levels and sense of well-being. That, in turn, affects your time because it takes longer to do everything. The solution to the problem may be different for each person and will require some experimentation. But in the first instance, it's sensible to try to to identify the root cause, although that's not always obvious. You may need the help of your doctor to eliminate physical causes like sleep apnea. Dealing with negative emotions is a good place to start if there's no obvious physical cause. Remember that you are what you eat. If you want lots of energy, then you need to eat well. You need a balanced diet and you need to look after yourself. Creating positive energy and in doing that, making the best use of your time comes from other things too. Doing something that you're really passionate about. When we're engaged in doing something we love, it creates a sense of enthusiasm and energy. When was the last time you did something you were passionate about? What was it? What is it that makes it so special? When and how can you create more opportunities to do the same? Making a difference to other people, making a difference to the environment, to the world, can make a a really big difference. Try making random acts of kindness to strangers every day. Expect nothing in return. It doesn't matter how big or small. Letting a car out of a side street, carrying somebody's bag or giving your time and energy. Just monitor how it makes you feel. Go out of your way to make somebody smile. Try talking to somebody in the lift rather than staring into space. Say hello to a stranger in the street. Each small but positive action can add to your pot of personal energy. And actually having more energy means that you'll make more of your time. Laughter's is a wonderful tonic. When we laugh, we breathe deeply, oxygenating the brain and releasing endorphins. And the result is hugely increased energy levels. So, when was the last time that you had lots of fun? Plan to do something different. Create an opportunity to laugh and have fun. Make the most of your time. Looking back at the end of your life, nobody, I think, is going to want their epitaph to be, I wish I did more work. But maybe your epitaph would be, this is somebody who lived life to the full, who actually made a difference, who was happy and who added to their own lives and to the lives of others please contact me through uh, my website genuinely-you.com or through the radio. I'd love to know how you're getting on and if you've got any questions or themes that you'd like to be dealt with then please let me know. Have a good
0: week and I'll speak to you soon. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years, of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.